A podcast of the cinema. Dave White's birthday. A podcast, podcast of, of the Dave, Dave White's birthday. birthday. Happy birthday, because Dave it's the White. birthday of me. You are one hundred years old. Today. I'm one hundred and six years old. We're today. all so proud of and you. That means it's time to die. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said I'm going to live to be hundred and six. Ah, yes, true. And um, you have not finished Swedish death cleaning though. So no, I haven't. I'm still kind of doing that, but. Uh, today I am 59 years old, which is a maddening age to be, not because I don't like getting old. You just wish you were 60 already. I wish. Okay, first of all, I like a round number. Yes, who does And I like, I, I'm, gonna, I'm already telling people I'm 60. Yeah. Also, I can taste the senior discounts. <laughs> But I can't have them yet. Like, they they accidentally gave me the senior discount one day at the at the Lemley. Yes, yes. And it just felt like you'd arrived. Oh, oh, how many years ago was this? Five years ago. I, yeah, you keep bringing and it I up. And I still though. remember it. Like the Trix Rabbit gets one teaspoon of cereal. Beautiful day. I want my discount. Well, look, I think fifty nine yes. exists to make you anticipatory yeah to get you excited about yeah. what's coming next not to have yes. it all handed to you on a plan yes so i'm listen i'm gonna be so good at being an old old person I, it's you've been practicing for years <laughs> yesterday one of our friends who is 35 years old posted on instagram Something about elder millennials adopting grandma hobbies. And I'm like, all you kids need to sit down. While I read to you from Tea Time magazine. Actual, <laughs> actual, almost grandma <laughs> or grandpa. Pick your gender. Among the infinite variety of genders. Grand elder, queer papa, whatever you would like to call me. <laughs> Um, ancient Xer. Yeah, ancient Xer. I'm ready. I'm ready to be a really you're going to really hit the ground amazing walking slowly. I'm, gonna, I'm already doing that. Yeah, I'm going to be an amazing senior citizen. You're not with you. It's not run, don't walk. It's it's don't walk, walk slower. <laughs> That whole thing about how apparently the gays walk faster has never applied to me. Uh, who says? It's a it's a it's a it's a minor in joke on the internet about about gays moving at a fast pace. <laughs> and I've always been like, not this gay. I'm a I am the tortoise. You are. And have been since I was like a kid. Hmm. Time to, I, time to run a race in PE class? Guess who was last? <laughs> this guy. Right here. 
I've said it before. Eight years old, moving slow. <laughs> what, one of the biggest arguments we ever had was in the middle of a city where we were walking and making each other crazy with our respective paces. But it was your fault. No, no, no. It was your fault. It was your fault. We were in Paris yes. for 36 hours. Yes. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> had to see as much of it as we could at that time. And you're lolling about like we moved there. On the first day, our friend uh, Elise, who had was working there at the yes. time, took us around. Just took us places. Yeah. And then she, uh, on the next day, when it was time to, to like, we had like about a half day left. Yeah. You were like, and, and, and let me let me clarify, Elise, a fast walker. Yes. Right? And so we were walking. I was leggy, one might say. I was keeping up. Yeah. Ish. Trying my hardest. But when you're not trying to be like, you know, impressive to the friend who's helping you around... <laughs> When all you have is your spouse. Oh, you're to... not making any effort for me. No, 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 no. I'm going to be myself. <laughs> I'm going to be exactly myself. And and myself is a slow self. Yes. I move slowly. If you will recall. I once had a homeopath. I was so desperate for any kind of allergy help. Yes. I went to a homeopath guy. It, and this was once <laughs> because everything he said to me was like, hmm, this all sounds not real at all. <laughs> but he did say something. Are you to, certified by anyone? He did say something to me that's, that seemed really completely accurate. And he goes, okay, so everything you're describing and your body and everything is, we call you the kapha type. And I was like, what's a kapha? And he goes, you move slowly and deliberately. And I was like, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, that's right. That's totally it. If you recall, what was happening <laughs> in Paris was that you were walking faster, trying to keep up with me. And we were on the Champs-Élysées. Yes. <laughs> I thought... To being real touristy. I was walking slower and was frustrated that you weren't And I was up. trying to keep up with you and it was so we were killing both, me. We were both making an effort that wasn't paying off and we were getting increasingly annoyed. It is annoyed easier for the fast person to slow down and smell the roses and take a leisurely stroll than it well, is for the slow person yes. to huff and puff and, and 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 work themselves into an actual sweaty mess. That day in I July learned, in Paris. That day I learned that you yeah. were always going to be the millstone around my neck. That is correct. And that I would have to pace myself. That is right. According. That is right. That's why when we are exercise walking at this juncture in our in our lives together, we go our separate, separate ways. ways. Yeah, that's never ever <laughs> happening. Anyway, hi. You and Margie, you just like yeah. Y'all, y'all sprint around the block. We're at a clip. Y'all run around the neighborhood together. If this is your first uh, time fast. tuning in. That's oh, yeah, this Dave is White. this is a film podcast, and we're I'm film, Alonzo Duralde. We're, we're film critics. Yeah, we're film critics. Um, but you know, sometimes other things get discussed. Indeed. Uh, speaking of that, we're gonna have to pause this in about twenty minutes ish. I'm gonna okay. set my timer. Because I need to taste dinner and make sure everything's going well. Absolutely. Um, so, anyway. Uh, why don't we talk about what's up? There are yes. four films to talk about today. 
one of them has not opened yet. And it isn't going to open until next week. But the embargo has lifted. Yes. This is one of those rare moments where we're actually ahead, ahead of, of the curve. Ahead of the curve. Here's the situation. The Flash has already screened for critics. Yes. It has the embargo for reviews has lifted. And I will never see it <laughs> because I do not want to. I knew the moment I heard about it, the moment I saw the trailer, the moment I learned what the running time was, I thought to myself, no, I will not. That is, this is two hours and 30 whatever plus minutes of my life that I want for other purposes. And I am not obligated to see everything that's in the cinema. Correct. And I've had people get on me about that before. Well, you don't, how come you don't want, how come you don't have to go see The Flash? How come you don't have to go see uh, uh, whatever the other, you know, superhero movie or whatever it is, is out? And I always say to that person, um, Shut up and leave me alone. Have you seen Goodbye Dragon in? <laughs> no, really, have you? Because it's a masterpiece, right? And what's your excuse for not having seen that? The market doesn't tell me what movies to see right. or which films to review. It is why no one at The Wrap is hiring me anymore. <laughs> because they, they've, in my understanding, someone correct me if I'm wrong, they're not reviewing tiny little obscure esoteric art house films anymore. Which was totally your side of the and street. That was all I wrote about for, yeah. for the rap. And so, um, so yeah, I'm not, it's, I mean, the market does, the market spit me out. <laughs> <laughs> so like, um, Alonzo saw the flash. And he's going to talk about it because why? Why wait? And I will not. Why wait? I will not spoil it because obviously people haven't had a chance to see it yet. You've already been receiving uh, vitriol, yeah, both uh, fat phobic and homophobic mm -hmm. vitriol from people. And the Flash has nothing to do with being fat or queer. Yes, uh, but as uh, but Twitter brings out the best in Twitter everyone. makes people uh, really you know lay it out. For yeah. you, and so your review, which was reasonably negative, yes, uh, has earned you uh, abuse eh. on the internet. It is, and it, that's it, it, hilarious. It comes with the territory <laughs> because people love to get upset about a movie they haven't seen yet. Yeah, that's the other thing. Y'all ain't even seen this movie yet, but are, are have already about? decided is such. Is so important to their sense of being, right? That none dare um, tell them that it's not the greatest thing ever. Okay, well, <laughs> tell everybody what's up with this movie without spoiling it and why you don't like it. Sure, it's not the greatest thing ever. Okay. Uh, okay, so um, it stars Ezra Miller, and uh, just to get this out of the way, if they you... they are having some problems in their life. Yes, Ezra Miller is apparently having some 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 difficulties. Yes, I don't, and I'm not being coy or cute about this. I actually don't know what they are because I read headlines. Ezra Miller um, 
kidnapping someone or robbing something or and I think this is too much for me to think about today this person is not connected to me in any way I have enjoyed their uh, performances and other films in the past uh, but I've I've you know what I'm making dinner <laughs> yeah I really I, it's like I have not I'll been... wait until the the dust settles and then someone can explain all of it. The basics to me. Yeah, yeah, I have not been keeping tabs. I just know it's, you know, the, it has made the marketing of this movie a challenge. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to see The Flash because you are mad at Ezra Miller for Ezra Miller's behavior, that is completely understandable. I find that a, a very reasonable uh, There are lots of, uh, position, lots of really. reasons not to see things, not yeah. to support things. And if, if that's where you are with this, that's fine. Yeah. I thought going in that the Ezra Miller of it all would be the sticking point for me with this right. movie. Not the case. Okay. Ezra Miller gives a very, gives the right performance for yes. this film. Okay. The film, however, um, starts great, ends great, and then in the middle is just this boring slog of like time travel shenanigans and... Easter egg, Easter egg, Easter egg, Easter egg, to the point where it just feels exhausting. It, it, it feels like the movie can't stop patting you on the back for getting the references that it is throwing at you. Some of those references involve that awful brand of like later Star Wars movies where here's a person we couldn't film or who is now many decades older, but we're going to digitally make them look kind of like the way you remember, but weirdly waxy. Right. Um, the, the, here's what I love about this movie. Okay, it starts with this big action set piece that involves a collapsing hospital and the Flash having to rescue uh, a bunch of newborns that have fallen out of window. And if you have ever seen John Woo's Hard Boiled, yes. you know that you can, in fact, stage an entire action sequence with a maternity ward full of newborns. And this movie pulls that off really well. It was a lot of fun. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm, I'm in. Where, where are we going? And then we don't go anywhere very interesting. Uh, but the plot does have to do with when The Flash was a kid, um, someone killed his mom. Okay. And uh, his dad went to jail for it, even though he was innocent because of reasons. Okay. And so the, the Flash decides, he, he realizes he can run fast enough to travel through time. So he thinks, aha, I can fix this so that she doesn't die and he doesn't go to jail. And even Batman is like, yeah, no, the dead parents got to stay dead because you just don't want to mess with time and history and whatnot. Okay. He messes with it. This seems like a random rule. Uh, you know, generally speaking. In these, in these kinds of films, things get, get turned upside down all the time. Yeah, but the, 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 it's the butterfly effect. They even reference the butterfly effect. Okay. The idea that like, well, you go course, back of course they do. and you change one tiny thing and then blah, you know, we're all wearing shoes on our head. Uh, we have hot dog fingers. Um, so he does that and it goes, it's a mess. And... He meets the younger Flash, who hasn't become the Flash yet, and runs into other folks, including, which is something everybody knows, Michael Keaton returns as Batman. Is that in the trailer? It's in the trailer. Okay. It's then, like then it's fair game it's, to Yeah, they're hyping right. it like mad. Yeah. Um, 
And none of that stuff is very interesting, okay. unfortunately. And then at the end, there is an emotional payoff that's like, oh, I this is genuinely moving and meaningful. And where was this for the last two hours? So, uh, yeah, that it, it didn't do it for me. That said, it's in like the 70s on the tomato meter. People are digging it. So uh, maybe I'm just the weirdo. Make up your own mind. But uh, it, I was not loving The Flash. I think it is the kind of movie for people who can't stop themselves from going, woo, when they see like the Michael <laughs> Keaton Batmobile, for instance. Wait, there's a specific Michael Keaton Batmobile? Yeah. You know, the, no. long, the long with the... Okay. Remember how in The Dark Knight he had that Batmobile that looked more like a tank? No. There's always different Batmobiles. What? I'm sorry, what? These movies are designed in different ways, and, and they're going for a different, you know... There's one Batmobile. Well... And it's for us. It's the one Adam West drives. Again, we are geriatric exers. Oh, yes. The, that will always be our Batmobile. <laughs> I have no memory of any Batmobile design from any Batman movie. Are they all different in every Batman movie? Maybe not in every single movie, but like the two Burton Batmans don't look the same as the two Schumacher Batmans don't look the same as the Nolan Batman. I mean, yeah, that makes, yeah, I guess that makes sense, doesn't it? I'm sure the diggity dang Zack Snyder Batman had a whole different Batmobile. So, okay, but here's my other question then. Mm. First of all, that will chalk up to me being stupid. I'm too dumb to know about Batmobiles and their iterations. Look, I'm no expert. I just, I but just you, know they're different. You, compared to me, you, you, you are. Sure. All right. So, uh, people applaud when they see a Batmobile? Uh, the screening I was at, they did. And they know which one is which? And they, uh, Yeah, they, well. They're really, okay. These are, like, look. These are people right. who are like, oh, yay, it's my 1989 Batman all over again. Hooray. All right. I mean, listen, everybody gets to go have fun. It's sure. The, it's the summertime. Sure. You uh, can go have fun in the summertime. Here's the thing, though. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll get more into this when you catch up with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Which I will be going to yes. see. That movie yes. does on paper, does a lot of things very similar to what The Flash does. All right. But does them so much better. Okay. And so much smarter. And so less in a fan service kind of way. Right. It's night and day. So we'll get to it later, but my short version is go see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Mm. Well, all right. Yep. Maybe while you're in Kansas City, mm -hmm. which is where you're headed out yeah. tomorrow. Why are you going to Kansas City, Alonzo? Why don't you tell everybody what's going on? For Christmas Con. Christmas Con. What's what's there in Christmas Con? Um, well, Other than your boys. The, the my boys. The Deck the Hallmark <laughs> guys are doing a live show on Thursday night, and then they're going to have a booth set up yep. for Christmas Con. I will be there. We'll be signing copies of our book. We'll be doing all kinds of fun stuff. Yep. Um, Chris, it's a con. It's people go to buy uh, autographs and selfies and stuff. And so, is that it? Is that what happens uh, that, entirely? And then there are panels. Is there merch? Uh, yeah. Are there are there Christmas crafts? 
as much as you'd think. And I, I hope that, that... Puffy, puffy paint embroidered stockings? I, I, I hope that becomes more of a thing. Like, I went I went to the first one they did in, in Edison, New Jersey. Yes. Uh, and they were just getting it off the ground. And then I went... I didn't go... In, they didn't do it in 2020, obviously. Yeah. Uh, or 2021. I think they... Right. They did. Uh, they, they. I didn't go to the New Jersey. Actually, anyway, there've been a couple of things in New Jersey <laughs> since then. Everything happened last week or ten years ago. Uh, last so summer, so many Christmas cons. Last so summer, little time. I did go to the one they had in Pasadena, and yep. there were a few like Christmas sort of artisans there. Uh, like what? What were they? What did they do? Like just selling ornaments and stuff. Okay. Uh, but I would love to little see caricatures more of, of you as uh, no, was, as Santa. No, no, you got to get me one of those. I, they, did not, they didn't have one of those. I would love to see more of that, but I think that most of the people who go to Christmas Con are really just there because they are hardcore Hallmark fans right. and they want to see right. their favorite stars. I see. So I guess, do they have like soap opera conventions? Probably. You figure? Yeah. If, if, look, if you and that's think like of the it, same thing. It. Like I think of the soap opera world and the Hallmark movie world as kind of cr- overlappy. Ish. Am I, I mean, wrong? there there are a lot of people who start in soaps and then wind up going to Hallmark. They are similar in that, like, you can be a soap star and have a really successful career and a fervent fan base, and not be anything re- related to being a household name. Exactly. Okay. And to the public yeah. at large, they have no idea. But to the, but the, but if you know, you know. You know. I see. Um. So yeah, so that's that's what's happening. And uh, well, anyway, while you're gone, maybe I'll get out to Spider Man at a oh, okay. like a little matinee or whatever. Because wait, did it already, it already opened? It is in theaters now. It's in theaters now. It's hugely successful. Oh, see, that's a problem for me because I don't like to go to a theater with a lot of people in it. Well, <laughs> maybe I'll wait. You know, look. Uh, Maybe I'll go like next Monday morning. Not all the schools are out yet. Go on like Thursday no, morning. Yeah, go on right like now. a like a like a Monday or Tuesday morning. Okay. That's the that's my that's my jam time for the big movie theater. Do what you like. Yeah. Um. So, all right. Well, you saw that, mm-hmm. and I saw this. Uh, there is a a uh, a film. Uh, Sort of inching its way around the country uh, to art houses and uh, perhaps even like you know uh, nonprofit exhibition spaces, uh, museums, even who mm-hmm. knows. Uh, and the way you can find out if it's going to be coming near you is to go to the distributor's website. Uh, Kim Stim mm-hmm. is the releasing uh, arm of this film. What's the movie, Dave? It's called Stonewalling. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Pride Month, but it has nothing to do with Stonewall. <laughs> Different Stonewall. Different kind of Stonewall. Um, and it is from, uh, forgive me if I'm screwing up the names of the filmmakers, uh, Wang Ji and Ryuchi Otsuka. Mm-hmm. They are a uh, husband and wife filmmaking team. And they've been making movies, I guess, for about... A decade now, about mm. 10 years, but uh, this is my first film uh, from them. They made one in 2017 called The Foolish Bird that I haven't seen yet, but Don't know it. now it's on my radar and I want to like catch up with it because this one's really great. Oh. Yeah. Um, it stars a woman named uh, Hongi Yao, 
And she was also in The Foolish Bird, so she's sort of a recurring actor uh, for them. Now, you did or did not see Zia Zhangke's A Touch of Sin. I did? You did, okay. I think it was on my top ten that year. A Touch of Sin, from several years ago now, a film about... Contemporary China. Let me say it differently. I I was going to say a film about a seething, (laughs) rage-filled film about young people in China and their sort of diminished expectations for life. Um, Analogous to the United States uh, right now. This film covers sort of similar terrain, but with a very, very uh, right now sort sort of slant in that it is about young people, uh, and uh, the filmmakers are based in Beijing, mm-hmm. um, about young people in China whose, again, expectations for life are somewhat diminished, but who have learned through the, the, the mechanism of the internet and, you know, capitals, uh, appropriation <laughs> of everything related to life to brand themselves, stay hustling, mm-hmm. do seven jobs at once, always be on the lookout for the next opportunity, market yourself, become a saleable commodity thing that, that someone might want. Okay. So we meet a young woman named Lynn. She has a boyfriend, and her boyfriend is on the grind. And he is dragging her along. I wouldn't say kicking and screaming because nothing in this film is that noisy. Nothing that that Lynn embodies is that noisy. She's just reluctant. She just doesn't want to. She's just sort of adrift and lost and... If not kicking and screaming, gesticulating and sighing. Looking at her phone a lot. (laughs) Staring into space. She's socially uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. He's got her in an ESL class. She's not into it. Mm -hmm. He's got her, like, she's in flight attendant training school. She's not that into it. (laughs) Um, He's always like, so we're going to go do this. We're going to, like host this party for this company and we're going to do this modeling gig because they're both super good looking. Um, and she's not into it. She doesn't know what she wants. She's 20, which is a perfectly reasonable age to not, not know, know what you yeah. want. She doesn't know what she wants. She just knows she doesn't want any of this. Gig economy. Uh, then she finds out she's pregnant. And she tells the boyfriend, I'm going to go home to stay with my parents, and I'm going to have an abortion. And he says, okay, I'll pay for it. And she goes home to stay with her parents, and she changes her mind and doesn't have the abortion. She wants to have the baby and see where that might take her. Which is this, you know, irrevocable decision. Yes. Um, And... She thinks maybe she wants to give the baby away up for adoption when she's when she gives birth. But then she just says it doesn't really feel like much of doing anything. 
And she's ambivalent all the way up until the moment of what she wants to do and who might be involved. There are issues with her parents as well. They have a, a troubled you know, relationship and they have a troubled business. So this has made Lynn sort of anxious. think, she's made her anxious about, well, you know what? I don't want their relationship and right. I don't want their business life and I don't want anything that's happening to me. Uh, so that's the plot. And, but the story itself is told in the formal details. Um, it is a, 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 a quiet, distant, detached filmmaking style. Mm -hmm. It's, it's absolutely unshowy. They're not stylists, but they are really meticulous about how they frame, how they construct, how they edit, and where she is often mm. in the frame. She's kind of like, you know, over here. <laughs> like, figuratively, she's on the bench in life. and She's not the star of her own movie. And, and she's distant from everything around her. Um, so this is a film about a person who is so quiet, they almost disappear. And she almost disappears from the film. Her, her, her performance is so meek and so restrained that you wonder, are you ever going to start like yelling at someone about how unhappy you are? Or are you just going to live this way? Mm. And I don't want to give away the ending because a tension builds. Yes, please don't. A tension builds within herself and within the people around her and within her situation. Uh, so that she is living in a way that is absolutely like sealed off from other people. Mm. Uh, it's upsetting. And it's a really amazing film. Mm. Okay. Uh, you know who you are. If this sounds like your thing. <laughs> if I've recommended this sort of thing to you before, and you felt I was accurate. Maybe you'll like this one. Go too. on, get get to it. Gotcha. Uh, it is called Stonewalling. As I said, it is inching its way around the country in you know tiny art house venues. Uh, according to the website, the Kim Stim website, K I M S T I M. It just says coming soon to streaming and DVD. So you know uh, maybe by the end of the year, but you know I know a lot of people listening are in places where art house films just don't go. So. If you have a list, and I have at least one friend who's a listener who's like, I always jot down, I always jot down the titles because I won't get to see this for a while, but I know if you liked it, I want to go look it up. Yeah. Right. Stonewalling. That's what it is. Okay. All right. Now, we both saw Monica. Yes. Why don't you talk about this one? Sure. So uh, Trace Lissette, who you might remember from the Amazon series Transparent, plays a woman named Monica, and she is sort of summoned home. Um, her mother, played by Patricia Clarkson, is um, not doing well. She is dealing with health issues that aren't really specified, but uh, you know it, it involves some memory issues and some physical issues as well. 
Monica has not been home in a very long time uh, because her mother basically kicked her out when it was clear that Monica was going to be transitioning. Monica is a trans woman. Yeah. And uh, in returning home, at first, the mother does not seem to recognize her. And, you know, they sort of pass her off as like, oh, a friend of your son's, right. you know. Because the mother is, has some form of dementia. We yes. don't really ever really uh, dig into that. Get the, the details of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, Monica is tending to this woman and they grow close and there is... Some indication along the way, perhaps, that Patricia Clarkson's character does come to understand who this person is. But either way, you know, the, there's this attempt at sort of a, a, a reconciliation. And then we kind of get these moments with Monica, the way that she interacts with men that she meets online. Um, you know, and, and how she behaves. That We sort of, we, we are given a picture of this person's life. Yeah. And how she was affected by, you know, being forced out of her home at a young age. But this is not a movie that, this is not a declarative movie. There are no speeches. Nobody stands around and monologues about things. Like, there's one scene towards the end where Monica talks to her brother about the mother driving her out of the house. Right. But that's about it. Right. Beyond that, we are left to observe these characters to understand them, to witness their behavior, and, and and glean from that who they are and what they're about. And it's really beautifully put together, really powerful. Um, and, and you know, th there's a really, there's a great cast here, but really it comes down to Trace Lissette and, and Patricia Clarkson, who were just dynamite in this. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, the lack of, Declarative sentences, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, um, I always appreciate a film that is really trying to go for that lived-in, yeah, quality where there's not a character who pops up to to give you the exposition, yeah, to say the things that the characters in the film would never all, say to each other because they already know they them. already know this stuff. They would never speak these things to each other, so because of that um this is indie cinema in the most sort of recognizable formal ways of indie cinema you know nothing is over explained the performances are not showy they are good yeah i trace lisette is so great uh, i think in this film absolutely um the heavy duty overbearing catharsis is not coming the filmmaking is done. The filmmaking is what's carrying the narrative. You know, the script is not saying, saying, saying. The filmmaking is doing it. Yeah. So framing and gesture and light and and someone's back to someone else, mm -hmm. you know, someone walking away from someone else. That's, that's where the story lies. So I think that's, you know, again, that understated approach is something that appeals to me. Um, and and Trace Lissette's performance is really very fully uh, realized. She knows deeply what she has, what she is coming back to. Yes. And what she was forced out of. Uh, and I said what I'm about to say already on KCRW when we were talking to Madeline Brand, 
but there are these very intensely felt moments in the film that where you see what often happens to queer children mm-hmm. who are forced out of their families. And it, 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 it gives the film the feeling that a lot of queer adults will have about their families this sense of loss and this sense of longing for something that they didn't get. Yeah, Maybe their siblings got it and they didn't. So then there's this weird like, you know, envy of the siblings that they got to experience full parenting. Yeah. You know, a quasi resentment, but yeah. not necessarily. Uh, even though it's not the sibling's fault. No, you know? of course. And so there is, there is that element of it. Um, compared to, we just recently talked about another uh, film that is about a trans kid uh, a trans teenager, uh, Limencita, yeah, the Italian movie, and the director of Monica is a, an Italian, also Andrea Paloro, but yeah. it's shot here in the U.S. Yeah, I um, I know that a lot of queer viewers are sort of like, I don't want to see any more trauma, <laughs> and I fully understand. Sure, that. you know, like you want some examples of of everyday life yeah. that a queer person might might be experiencing. And so you get that in both Lemencita and in this film. Um, whatever trauma is coming for the kid in Lemencita is not on screen. Yeah. And the trauma that Trace Lissette's character has experienced has already, already been happened. experienced. Yeah. And now she is an adult working her way through the world. Yeah. Um, so... This is a darker film than Lemencita. Yes. It is a, a a more somber and sorrowful film, but it is also really moving. Yeah, and and I like it quite a bit. Yeah, uh, IFC is releasing it, and it might still be making its way to theaters. But oh you, yeah, for you, sure it you, is. But you can also rent it or buy it online. Oh, it's now available to stream mm-hmm. as well. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Do it. Yeah, <laughs> get it that way. <laughs> And then, uh, finally, you see, what what just happened there was I made Alonzo cut the mic so that I could go check on dinner. Yes. And, but I was was fixing to say the title of the movie, but it would have been seamless. Mm. You'd have never known. You, nothing's but ever instead, seamless because you always tell people about it. Like, it would have been, but it, you know what? Sometimes I check dinner and I don't say anything. About I it. guess. Yeah. Say, hey, if you want to find out more about this dinner <laughs> and other interesting I things may, that we talk about, y'all, I may, I'm making. No, don't, don't, don't tell them. Oh no, I because am. I'm doing the ad oh, for I our am. Patreon. Ad. I made, I made kishti. All right, fine. Priya Krishna, formerly of the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen, delivered unto me, not personally. Through the New York Times, her recipe for kishti. It's so good. Why do you Why do you have to ruin all of my? Marketing and it's my birthday, efforts? so I made it for myself because I wanted to eat it. Why do you have to ruin all my marketing efforts? All right, tell about the tell about the, the Patreon. Yeah, we yeah. have a Patreon at patreoncom right. linoleum knife, where you get to hear programs like Linoleum Knife and Fork, a food podcast hosted by two film critics, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, Linoleum Knife presents more Linoleum Knife, where we go in deep on a single title or. Uh, LKTV, a podcast of the television, or Linoleum Nights, where we talk about whatever the heck we want, right. and we uh, record it live on Facebook. 
there's club meetings. There's uh, all kinds of cool things and, um, you know, recordings and whatnot. So uh, if you like this and want more of this, then go to patreon.com slash linoleum knife. You want to buy it? We're selling it. There you go. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Colon, the international mail story. Do we need to explain the international mail catalog? Oh, I think we might. Why don't you do that? Because, you know, Dave, a mall is like a search engine that you walk through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still reeling from that line from the Abercrombie and Fitch documentary. <laughs> international mail was a catalog that was sent out uh, beginning in the... The 80s. 80s, yeah. The 80s, yeah. Um, well, no, the 70s. The se- yeah, beginning in the 70s. The 70s. We just watched this movie. We should know this. Beginning in the 70s, but uh, really it reaches peak... We saw it in the 80s. <laughs> reaches peak in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Uh, I used to have a joke uh, where I said that if the government ever wanted to round up all the gay men to like ship us off somewhere, they would use the international mail catalog mailing list... Because that's, at one point in history, that may have been an accurate assessment. Because we all got it. It just found us somehow. And so the whole thing of the International Mail Catalog was this was at a period where, like, men's fashions weren't really, like, a big thing. Like, men weren't encouraged to think of themselves that way, to dress that way. Um, and so this was the idea of, like, what if we got these really hot, butch, straight models and draped them in the craziest pastels and meshes and teeny tiny underwear possible. That's the point. That's the part right there. The teeny tiny underpants. Mm. You ever look in the Sears catalog? <laughs> Montgomery Ward's catalog? J.C. Penny catalog? You go to the men's underwear section? You know what's missing? Teeny tiny underwear. No. Not even just the teeny tiny underwear. You know what's missing? The evidence that there's something to put in the underwear. There's that also. Okay. Now, International Mail, not only did they not skimp on that, (laughs) they accentuated that. That was their raison d'etre. They were like, stand in profile, please. (laughs) We're going to give you the full bulge. So they basically figured out a way to create this magazine slash catalog that straight guys felt comfortable buying clothes out of and that gay guys felt comfortable looking at very slowly. Well, you know, here's the deal. Apparently, uh, in spite of the fact that it was an overwhelmingly gay experience, women were buying their boyfriends. Were using the catalog to buy stuff for their boyfriends who would then wear it, in the words of Christopher Herity, who we know and who is a talking head in this film. He's a former colleague at The Advocate. Um, He's like... I can just see some of these things being worn to a straight swinger party. <laughs> <laughs> in the suburbs. <laughs> in the suburbs. Yeah. I, by the way, we should, for full disclosure, I, I know one of the directors of this film. Brian, oh. Brian Darling. I worked oh, okay, with him at yeah. Outfest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we know at least three of the talking heads in this movie. That is true. Uh, Our so, pal Drew Drogi, yes. friend of the show, former, uh, not former guest, but occasional guest. Yes, and is, Frank DeCaro, who's also been on the show. One of the talking heads. Our, our buddy Frank DeCaro is on the sh- uh, in this film, too. Um, what was your experience in the 80s with the International Mail Catalog? Do you remember when you first saw it? Do you remember when it first... Did it arrive to your where you lived? I don't think I saw an International Mail Catalog until after college. Okay. Um, 
But, you know, it was definitely I, my sort of uh, teenage um, catalog substituting for porn of uh-huh. choice oh, was, I know. was the Esprit catalog Y'all. of the 1980s. Y'all, if you are a Patreon person, <laughs> you could go type in Esprit, E-S-P-R-I-T, into the... Um, uh, the search on Patreon, and you will find a photo pictorial uh, t- shot by me with my phone of the 1982 Esprit catalog that we still own. It yes. still is in this house. There's an address label on it, Alonzo Duralde, your family home, the one you grew up in. So you're like, how old were you? 16, 17? 15. 15. All right. That Esprit catalog made me a man. What can I tell you? <laughs> so, yeah. But the International I Mail catalog. Looked, I have looked through this Esprit catalog, and I have seen some, some, some dudes in it that I was like, I didn't even ask you. <laughs> I was like, it's this one, and it's this one. I know for a fact, and I was right. But the, the International Mail catalog served that purpose for many gay men of our generation. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, this documentary really kind of looks at it as a kind of as a cultural phenomenon, but as a fashion phenomenon and right. a marketing phenomenon. The Seinfeld puffy shirt episode is entirely about the international mail catalog. Yeah, that shirt yeah. they sold it as the, yeah. the 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 ultimate poet's shirt. Yeah. That was the Jerry is wearing an international mail puffy shirt. Yeah, in, in that episode with, with frills and, yeah. and and ruffles. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's just, and, and so they, they interview some of the models, they interview people that worked there, they interview people like Drew and Frank and Parvesh China, who like have funny reminiscences of growing yeah. up gay and how much that, you know, catalog, uh, played a role in that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating documentary. It's very well put together. When I was, I guess, a freshman in high school, I was living in a small town. Mm-hmm. And I would go to uh, the library and read magazines mm-hmm. because magazines back in the late 70s, that's how a kid in a small town learned about the world. Yes. Particularly lifestyle magazines like Esquire and GQ and uh, uh, Vogue even because they were covering subjects. They you were know, like websites printed on paper. They were like websites printed on paper. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so in an issue of GQ magazine, there was mm-hmm. a subscription form and I took it. Oh. Because what I also wanted was to find some kind of identity for myself mm-hmm. in, in, in high school. Mm-hmm. And I decided that a pair of Calvin Klein jeans would be a great way to do that. Oh. Yeah. And so... Uh, I, 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 got a, I got a pair wow. of them. Yeah, my dad paid for it, which was crazy because at the time, this was like 1980, 1980-ish, mm-hmm. 81. That was a $40 pair of jeans. That was an insane amount of money to pay for jeans. Mm. And my dad was like, we're going school clothes shopping. Here's, you know, you can have this amount of money to buy whatever you want. Because he wasn't like, he just, he wanted to go like, not be around <laughs> the kids while we were buying school clothes for right. ourselves. So 
we'd go to the we we went it's out of town. Out. No, we went to Albuquerque for the weekend and where they had like you know better shopping opportunities well, sure, yeah. I dropped 40 bucks on a pair of Calvin Klein jeans my dad goes how much do those cost I said like 25 <laughs> <laughs> he's like that's a lot of money for jeans I was like yeah I know but no, you know no, there was no way I was telling him that I spent 40 bucks. I, I and, you know, I'll tell you I as much as I hated wearing a high school uniform yeah. I'm kind of glad now that I didn't have to like pick an outfit yeah. every day and have yeah. that be my identity. Yeah. But so anyway, this 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 little project of mine involved looking at clothes in GQ and thinking I maybe I could wear that mm. or something like that. Yeah. You know. Uh, international mail did not exist for me yet. So I, with some money that I'd saved up from my paper route, <laughs> I subscribed to GQ magazine for one year. I'm 14 years old. And my oldest brother saw it come to the house. And he said, you know what that, you know what GQ stands for? And I said, what? And he goes, gays and queers. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> but here's the thing. GQ stands for gays and queers. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it sure did back then. But because I had subscribed to GQ magazine, oh, my name got on. The international mail mailing list? My name got on a mailing list. Aye. And the international mail catalog started coming to the house. And my stepdad was like, what's this? And I go, I don't know. I subscribed to this, this men's fashion magazine, and now I'm getting this in the mail. And he goes, hmm. <laughs> you lost him at men's fashion magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and so, oh, man, the International Mail Catalog. Those little underpants. Mm. I was like, what's, why do I feel this way? <laughs> why, why do I feel these feelings when I'm looking at these men? Because they were too pretty for me to be attracted to. Right. But there had not been the example of men's bodies in the media, really. Yeah. The 80s was, is where this took off. This and is, part of the documentary describes yeah, the, the dawn phenomenon. of male objectification. Yeah. They, they didn't mention... Uh, American Gigolo, which I always think which is was also a key moment a in this yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, uh, because it was always that dichotomy in my head of like, well, this guy's body looks cool, but he doesn't look like Ed Asner, so I guess I don't <laughs> care, you know? And, if, you know, for the longest time, that's how you tell yourself that you're not gay because you're like... You're not into who I'm you're supposed into, to be I'm into. Not into. I'm not into the Calvin Klein model, really. Yeah. It was a very confusing time, but I was still happy to get the International Mail Catalog. Wow. Um, here's what I think is the most interesting thing about this documentary. and it it's, it's a really entertaining documentary. It is about a queer-built thing. Mm. That that got huge and took over, and then the money creeps came along. Yeah, <laughs> and it is it is an example, along with so many other examples of people build a business 
that they believe in and it has heart and they're small and small is enough. Yeah, going operating and, solely on instinct, not trying to like figure out how they're going to make a gajillion dollars. And they do well. They hit on something that then people respond comes, to. And then comes the content like people yes. who are like, here, here's a lot of money. What is it you sell? I don't care. Can yes. I make can I make more money with this? Great. I want to make more money. And I want the shareholders to make more money. And we will gut the life out of this thing yeah. to make the shareholders well, more money. And then when it's done, when we have sucked all the life out of it, we will throw it in the trash. Yeah. Goodbye. And that is what is happening all over the globe yeah. right now. I have watched, and let's just bring it back to you and me mm-hmm. here for a moment. Be a little solipsistic. Yeah. How many podcast networks mm. have you seen purchased by capital? Yeah. And then everything goes to hell. Yeah. And then all those shows are canceled. And then they sell it off. They 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 strip it for parts and mm. they get rid of it. And people who have created something. Too bad. Or it's too bad. You don't even own this thing anymore. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. That you know, yeah, the the, the, the money comes in, everybody gets fired. My We've favorite... never been offered the opportunity to join a podcast yes, network. Let's be clear and that. I'm glad <laughs> because the temptation of that, particularly if they wanted to, you know, say, Oh, we'll pay you some more money to do this thing yeah. would be pretty strong. Sure. Like and here it is. And we I have bl- a little medium successful podcast I don't where blame we talk any- about, you know, stonewalling. Yeah, I don't blame anybody <laughs> who said yes to those kind of offers. But unfortunately, no, we've then no, watched those. It's too enticing. It's too... Yeah. The world is so hard right yeah. now that if someone says, do you want a lot of money for your thing? You'll be like, okay, yeah. all right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I love the part where the guy hears the new bosses talking about like the gay problem of international mail, and then like a, a couple years later, is like, "Yeah, we're losing the gay clients. Can you like show us how to bring them back?" And, and he said, them. "F you." Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, uh, All Man is uh, now available for uh, purchase or rental on you know all of your favorite streaming. Uh, platforms that sell and rent things so yeah check it out it is it is a it's a fascinating history of a very specifically queer thing yeah. uh, Carson Kressley is one of the talking heads yeah. as is um, Simon Doonan it's narrated by Matt Bomer yeah yeah I, I liked it and it made me feel a little nostalgic for tiny little uh, underpants yes yeah they had a moment uh, all right. Well, that's the show, everybody. Oh, uh, we have a five-star review. We do. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will read it on the air like this one. Alonzo doesn't have any letters for you this week, but that's... Like, that's on me. Sorry. He's in a hurry. He's got to leave town, like, right away. Yes. All right. Uh, J. Joe Trini. Mm-hmm. That's the person who left the five-star review. The perfect critique balance oh. is the subject line. Thank you. Alonzo and Dave give all points of view of a film and are clear as to why they think as they do about it. They review all types of movies with equal enthusiasm and critique. They treat kids' movies, blockbusters, art house with the same level of respect. I am so grateful to find this podcast. It's everything I've always wanted in film reviews. Wow. 
Well, that's a lot. I don't even know to, this but... person, but I'm going to send you a five dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so thank you for that. That was awesome. If you want to have your five-star review read on the air, leave one at Apple Podcasts. You can also leave um, positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including yes. Spotify and Stitcher Radio, um, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Apple Music, or sorry, Amazon Music. Um, you can read my reviews at thefilmverdict.com. Um, you, you do have to sign up. It doesn't cost you anything. It's not a paywall. They just... Would like to have your email address, so you know they uh, want to put you on the international mail. Exactly, catalog. they want to send you Mailing a catalog list. about tiny underpants. <laughs> so check that out. You can also hear me on um, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network uh, on uh, Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire, which exists as a YouTube show as well as a podcast, and uh, with the, the folks at Deck the Hallmark, where I pop in once a week to talk about movies. Um, you can. Uh, Drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us at linoleumcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. You can see what he's up to at blueblu.bandcamp.com. We'll be back next time with more. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>